What's up, coaches? Hopefully your first few weeks have been good of football. Uh, hope you guys have all won your games and you've all got uh, many, many pancakes to show for it. Uh, make sure you go check out our RTP website, runthepower.com, and go check our new premium install. We just installed for September, 1551 Arc and Cruise, so you guys make sure and go check that out. Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are soft shell helmet covers that reduce impact during practice. Worn by over 1,000 high schools like mine, Broken Arrow, and Waltz's in Ankeny, and over 100 colleges like Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. Most programs utilize them for their guys in the box to address the repetitive subconcussive blows that add up throughout the season or an athlete's career. Uh, in fact, you can see what Lincoln Riley has to say about the Caps and the links uh, and the linked article on our show notes. They're also great for body blows, helmets to the knees, hips, quarterbacks' hands, while keeping the helmets looking good for game day and protecting speed flexes from cracking. You can check them out at guardiancaps.com and request a quote for great team pricing. This episode is also brought to you by Sky Coach. Sky Coach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. Uh, it's been really big on Twitter, uh, but uh, Sky Coach has been doing awesome uh, for us, as always, and for a lot of coaches around the country this season. 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium and any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. To be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. Sky Coach is the market leader in sideline replay. Go visit them at myskycoach.com to learn more. This episode is also brought to you by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication. Offering cutting-edge technology and innovation, Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. They're family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality. Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. Go check them out at sidelinepower.com by email at info at sidelinepower.com or just give them a call at 800-496-4290. And last but never least is this episode is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletics programs around the country. Whether you write your own program, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Visit their website and start a 14-day free trial. And right now, Team Builder is offering coaches a complimentary in-season football strength program. As you may recall, the New England Patriots squat up to 90% of their one-rep max deep into the playoffs. If your in-season strength and conditioning philosophy is just to maintain, then you are doing it wrong. You can get the template once you start a 14-day free trial with Team Builder. Just reach out to them and tell them that you heard it from us and the RTP podcast. Go visit Team Builder at teambuilder.com. That's T-E-A-M-B-U-I-L-D-R.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Danny Schechter. Coach D. Shack is the OC and quarterbacks coach at Gonzaga High School in Washington, D.C. 
Listen as we talk with D. Shack about his interesting football journey from working in equipment closets to becoming one of the best offense coordinators in high school football. Lessons learned from working for so many great coaches and leaders and his passion in running the best play in football, power. You can follow Coach Schechter on Twitter, at Coach D. Shack. Hope you guys enjoy. No, so uh, Gonzaga College High School is in D.C. We're about, you know, five or six blocks from the Capitol building, which is a really cool deal. Wow. Um, I mean, our, our football field sits on North Capitol Street. So if you drive past our football field, I mean, you're looking straight at the Capitol building. So there's no, you know, there's no place really like it. Wow, that's, our, un, uh, that's our, unreal. Harp, you're thinking yeah, of Gonzaga University out in Spokane, brother. Well, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know where I don't know where that is even. Yeah, that's I mean, on the I'm other side of the again. country. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got, I always have people like, oh, Gonzaga, and I'm just like, in, uh, it's a high school in Washington D.C. Uh, you know, one of one of the coolest things that we do is our first uh, practice in August. We run uh, all the players to the Capitol Building, and we practice on the grass uh, in the National Mall right in front of the Capitol building. Wow. Guarantee See, no, we're the only school in America that does that. It's super cool. That is absolutely awesome. Now, you guys are private school then? Or is the middle school private yeah. as well? Do you work in the feeder school for the middle school for Gonzaga Prep? So, so both are private, uh, but my school um, – I want to, you know, you can kind of consider it a feeder school, but Gonzaga's all boys. The middle school I teach at is uh, co-ed, and okay. it's not truly a feeder school, but academically, my middle school is uh, very top-notch, and Gonzaga's academics are second to none. So it's a, uh, you said Gonzaga prep, right? So in Walls, the schools in Florida, aren't there prep schools, but they're like, I never understood how that worked. I don't know if either of you guys know, but like there was a kid we had in college that went to like a prep school out of high school and he was in Florida, but he was like 19 years old. Like he went senior year, then he went like an extra year, but it wasn't high school, it was prep school. Is that, you know what that is, Walls in Florida? Yeah, the prep schools are a little bit different. They're almost like kind of like pseudo junior college, you know, uh, extra year of high school. But the cool thing about prep schools is, your, your clock doesn't start. So you, you can get kids that can go to those schools, try to get their ACT up, maybe recover some credits. They can still play some more football, and then it allows them to start four-year school on a regular clock, unlike junior college where their clock does start. I got you. Yep, so is, exactly. is that but, but, similar to you guys, or no, that's completely different? No, no we're just we're a regular old high school. We're just a, a private Catholic school. Okay. Well, perfect. Well, Coach, let's go ahead and, and, and keep rolling with it. Um, how we, you know, normally start all of our episodes is just kind of let you, you know, talk about your background, kind of how you got to where you are now and, and kind of what you're doing now. All right. Yeah, definitely. So I started off my journey as an equipment manager at Illinois State University, uh, Go You Redbirds. And, <laughs> awesome. you know, coming out of high school, so – you know, I'm, I'm like 5'5", five, five, 160 pounds, and um, although I love football and I always thought I would play it in college, I kind of had a, an epiphany 
that, you know what, I probably won't be able to play uh, college football um, unless I want to pay to play. And so, uh, you know, I wanted to go to Illinois State, had a very good um, teaching program. And, um, you know, I, I emailed the head coach one day, Denver Johnson. This and, is awesome. Uh, and he connected me with um, uh, the equipment staff and said, you know, um, you know, they might be able to, to help you out, you know, because I, I just want to stay connected with football somehow because it's always been a passion since, you know, playing backyard ball with, uh, with my pops and my brother. Um, you, you guys know how that is. And oh, so, yeah. and so, you know, I, uh, I get the equipment manager job. And so for the first three years, you know, at Illinois State, I'm, I'm the equipment guy giving out, you know, shoes, fixing helmets, washing jock straps, uh, whatever, whatever I had to do to stay connected to football. Now, there obviously were positives because I was at football practice every day. Um, I managed to be the guy that had the quarterback phone. Uh, we didn't have a phone. It was like, you know, a headset. So I was able to be on the headset, and we rigged it up where the phone was always on so I could kind of hear what the coaches were talking about, um, you know, over, over the headset. and. Uh, and then, you know, I got like half, you know, I got three quarters of my uh, tuition paid for and, you know, a couple thousand dollars in a stipend. So I had a, I had a really, really good deal as an equipment manager. Um, so Denver Johnson was the head coach at Illinois State um, and Justin Fuente who yeah. was the offensive coordinator um, at the time. And so I'm just watching, you know, two guys who are amazing football coaches and I'm sitting there going, this is, this is awesome. And one day I, uh, I finally mustered up the courage to ask the tight ends coach, whose uh, name is Jim Williams, asked him if there was a way that I could just learn some more football from them. Um, I didn't really know what that, that meant. And, um, and he was nice enough to say, hey, let me go talk to the head coach and we'll see what we do, what we can do. And so uh, one day he says, uh, you know, Coach Johnson wants to meet you in the office. And so, you know, I'm sitting there all five foot five of me and there's Denver who's, you know, six foot eight and, uh, and, and he just, you know, laying it down where, you know, we'd love to have you as an undergraduate student assistant, but we can't pay you anything. It'll be strictly volunteer. So that means you'll lose your scholarship and, uh, and stipend. And I didn't have to think about it. I was like, done deal. I would absolutely <laughs> love to do that. That's and awesome. So, uh, you know, I come in the office as an undergraduate assistant one day. Uh, and like the first job that they gave me was to uh, de-label the VHS tapes. I mean, they had a wall, you know, full <laughs> of all these recruiting tapes. And they're just like, yeah, we need them to be de-labeled so that we can reuse them. Um, and so they're like, yeah, take, you know, take a few days to do it. And I just sat there and I just banged it out that day because I want to show them, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be about business. Um, and so, you know, I was able to be a fly on the wall. I sat in all on all their, their meetings and everything. and you know, it was it was awesome because I realized how little I knew about football sitting in on those meetings. Coming out of high school, you know, I, I love football. I thought I knew a lot about football, but I sat in on that, that those meetings, and these guys are talking ball, and I'm just like, what the heck is going on? I have no idea what language they're speaking, um, and I'm just trying to take notes and learn. Um, and so, you know, it was a really, really lucky experience. So uh, those guys treated me great. You know, Coach Fuente. I'm forever grateful and thankful to him for 
you know, letting me sit and learn and ask questions. He treated me amazingly. Um, and then uh, Brad Cornelton, who's the offensive coordinator yeah. uh, under under Fu at at Vitek, you know, he was nice enough to even let me have a drawer in his office where I could put my stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, great, but he all those guys are are great guys. I can never say enough good things about him and thank him enough. So you know, that was my that was my introduction to coaching right there, and you know, just trying to learn. Uh, you know, be quiet, listen the best that I could, and the hardest part is is that. I like to open my mouth too much. So sometimes that got in the way. Um, and you know how that is with young coaches. You know, uh, young coaches always want to be heard so everybody knows that they're really smart and everything. And I'm sure they are. But um, if I could go back, I would tell myself, just listen, be quiet, wait your turn, you'll be okay, you know? Yes, um, I, can, I can remember thinking, I can vividly remember certain instances where I'm, I still cringe to think that I should have just shut up and, and not said anything. And I still think to those, like, I'm in the shower certain times uh, now, and I'm like, oh, I wish I just wouldn't have said anything three years ago in that one <laughs> coach's meeting. Yes, 100% agree. Way too many instances of, of that. Um, and so uh, after graduating college, one of the buddies I worked with in the equipment room, um, he uh, moved to North Carolina, and there was a, a position open to coach quarterbacks there. And, uh, and there was an English position open, and that's what my uh, teaching degree is in, uh, which is really weird because I know I'm supposed to be like a gym teacher or, or a science <laughs> teacher as a football coach, but you know, I'm, a, I'm just a weird dude. <laughs> and so I uh, moved out to North Carolina, taught, uh, you know, taught out there and coached high school ball at, at Jack Britt in Fayetteville, North Carolina for a season. Um, and then I was able to get a a running back job at a junior college, uh, Northeastern Oklahoma A&M Junior College in Miami, Oklahoma. Hell yeah. Uh, you so, you know, you, you know, you guys talking about uh, all the, all the Oklahoma schools out there. Um, you know, at first I'm like, man, these Oklahoma guys don't know anything about football. And I saw, <laughs> I saw all the, you know, these buildings and the weight rooms. I'm like, Oh my gosh, these guys are the real deal out here. Um, you know, uh, and so I was able to recruit out there a little bit and see what was going on in Oklahoma, which, you know, was a was an interesting time being in Miami, Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> and this bet. was before this was before the Norsemen, you know, rose back to prominence. I mean, we were getting we got our teeth kicked in that first year at NEO. Um, it was uh, under Rob Green, who's a great guy, um, and then uh, Donnie Bigby. Um, you know, he was the head coach for a couple of years after that. Um, and then um, I think it was Patterson came in and, and really rose the program back to prominence. Um, but I wasn't there for any of that. I, I uh, got a GA job <laughs> at Arkansas Tech University under uh, Scott Preston and, uh, and Steve Mullins, who was the head coach there, um, the Wonder Boys. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a gr another great deal. Uh, the first year we had a quarterback. This is, this is where I learned how important a quarterback is to an offense. Not that, you know, I didn't know it before, but this really shined a light on the importance of quarterback play because we had a kid transferred in named Nick Graziano. He started over Colin Kaepernick at Nevada, um, and then he broke his foot after four games. So, you know, after, after, a se after that season, he decided to transfer. He found Arkansas Tech and came to Arkansas Tech, becomes a Harlan Hill award winner, leads Arkansas Tech, uh, to the playoffs, and um, and it was a magical, amazing season to be part of. And then he graduated. Uh, and then the next year, uh, we had a lot of returners, but 
we struggled mightily because we just didn't have that that piece at quarterback. I'm not trying to discount the old line because everybody knows that group <laughs> is the most important, the heart and soul to the team. Uh, but if you had to say we need one guy, I'm sure a lot of people would agree with quarterback, you know? That's right. Um, and so, um, you know, I was coaching college ball, and it was great, but I, I, I hated seeing the family lives of those coaches. Um, you know, the D2 school, a lot of respect for all those guys. They did an amazing job, and they worked their tails off. Um, but I'm sitting here looking at guys making about 30000 a year, and they're never home, and they're never with their families. And that didn't really, that didn't really sit right with me because I'm very family-oriented. Uh, I'm lucky to have, you know, two amazing parents. Um, and, and, you know, my dad's my hero, so I just want to be like him, a family guy. Um, and I also did not like recruiting. Uh, and if you want to be uh, uh, worth your salt <laughs> in college football, you better love recruiting and be great at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just didn't, I, I never fall, fell in love with recruiting. So I decided to move to Florida, uh, get out of uh, the cold weather, you know, up, uh, up in Chicago and stuff and uh, got down to sunny Florida. And I was at Leesburg high school in Florida, which is about 45 minutes Northwest of Orlando. And that's where I met uh, my head coach that I'm currently with named Randy Trivers. And, you know, I had a couple job, op- other job opportunities in Florida that I thought I wanted more. But then I sat down in an interview with him, and, and fellas, it was the best interview I've ever been on in my life. Not because I did an amazing job or anything, but because it was three, four hours long, and wow. it was, you know, very detailed and specific, um, you know, on, on both ends where he's asking these questions, really trying to get a feel for, you know, who I was as a person, as a teacher, and what knowledge I had as far as football went. But then he also laid out his expectations and everything. And I was just blown away by it. And um, I basically took the job on the spot. So I was coaching in Florida uh, at Leesburg for three years, and we had a lot of success. We, you know, we won the first uh, playoff game in about 20 years at the school. And it was a very difficult school to win at, not because we didn't have athletes, but very low socioeconomic status in that community. And it was a community with a mindset of quitting. And that was the biggest change that we had to make with the guys is teaching them to persevere despite the circumstances. And, you know, we had kids in, in really rough situations. Um, and I feel like, you know, I know a lot of, you know, people out there discount the difficulty that a lot of these student athletes have to go through in order to be successful. And these kids, I mean, you know, one of uh, my favorite stories is a kid named Lee Bennett, who just graduated from Mercer. And he lived in, you know, a, a one-bedroom apartment. It was him, his mom, and a couple siblings. And, you know, a tiny place. And that kid was just bought in to everything. Academic, uh, he bought into what Coach Trivers and, and, and all of us on staff were preaching and teaching. Um, graduated high school, earned the scholarship to Mercer. And you know, he was a captain for Mercer and did an amazing job there. It's like you see a kid like that coming from such uh, a tough situation, and you're like, man, if more kids would listen and buy in and, and learn the valuable lessons of football, they can do amazing things uh, that, that most people don't think that they're capable of. Um, so that's why I was able to really gain out of, uh, out of Leesburg. And then uh, Coach Trivers um, uh was asked to be the head coach at Gonzaga up here in Washington, D.C., um, and he asked me if I would uh, go with him. 
And I said I definitely would, but first I have to convince my uh, girlfriend at the time to leave Florida and uh, and move with me. And um, and that was a battle right there, fellas. I'll tell you that. Uh, much. I believe it. <laughs> I mean, leave she was, Florida. You know, she, was, she was probably not yeah, active. Exactly. She was born and raised in Florida. You know, she's you know loves Disneyland. We used to go there all the time. I mean, <laughs> it was uh, it was an awesome deal. And um, you know, she also had a uh, daughter from previous marriage. So there were a lot of moving parts. Uh, but this is where things like loyalty and trust really get put to the test. Where I was very loyal to Coach Trivers because. You know, he made me a much better person and a much better coach and a much better teacher than I ever would have been without him. And I really wanted the opportunity to go. And then it took her commitment and trust uh, in me that, hey, we're going to move up there and we're going to, um, you know, have a great life up there. And I was gonna, I just told her, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to make you and our family happy. And, you know, she took that line, hook, line, and sinker. And we, we ended up moving up uh, – up to D.C. Um, and, uh, and so I've been up in uh, Washington, D.C., coaching at Gonzaga as the O.C. and uh, quarterback coach for the last uh, four seasons. This will be uh, my uh, fifth season uh, at Gonzaga and uh, my eighth season overall um, with, uh, with Coach Trivers. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm very lucky, guys. And, you know, anybody – if anybody is listening to this whole rant, <laughs> Uh, anymore you know, if you find a coach that you believe in and that you love and you trust and admire give them everything you got give them all the loyalty in the world and you'll be ultra happy with it because there might be other two opportunities that look good but the grass is always greener because it's fertilized with bs and if you find somebody and a, and a group of guys that you like then you know hold on tight because you're in for a heck of a ride and a heck of a journey and so i'm, I'm very lucky to be where I am. So I went from washing the jock straps of the Redbirds to uh, coaching a couple of games on ESPN and calling plays for uh, one of the best teams in the country and arguably uh, the one of the best conferences in the country. Well, that's, uh, I'm glad that you, uh, you touched on, you know, that loyalty and trust of a head coach because you don't hear that and you don't see that, I don't think, very often in football. You know, there's a lot of it is, you know, kind of go get your own and, you start doing well, then you see a bunch of guys, like you said, grass is greener everywhere else, want to jump ship, think everything's going to be better somewhere else. And, and um, you know, I just don't – I'm glad that you you say, you know, if you find someone that you can trust and that you feel loyal to, stay loyal to them and, and um, you know, stick with that coach or that, that group of men because um, I, think, I think that is important and I think that is a lost art almost in coaching right now and – and that uh, I think it is a big deal for a head coach when they can find an assistant coach or a coordinator that is willing to be loyal to them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you see guys going from place to place, job to job, uh, you know, ju- you know, jumping ship and leaving kids and, and, and all that. And, you know, it's part of the business. I totally get it. Um, but I guess just the way that I'm built, you know, I was, I was just lucky. I, I found the right guy at the right time in my life. And the best way I could show that I appreciated him was just, you know, trying to be as loyal as I could and giving him the trust that he gave me. And, you know, like I said, Coach Trier's amazing guy. And before he even met me, you know, he, or sorry, after he interviews me, um, he 
uh, you know, offers me the job, hires me and everything. And then when I moved down there, I was like, hey, man, I just got done with a GA job. So I have zero money in my bank account and we're not getting paid until August and it's June. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to do. I might have to sleep in my car. And he said, you know what? You can live with, um, you can, I, I got an extra bedroom for, with me and my wife and, um, and the defense coordinator, uh, at that school is living there too. And he said, you can take that bedroom and, uh, and stay in there until, uh, you get some scratch and find your own place. And that's just, you know, goes to show, you know, what happens when you instill trust in other people, um, and what you're supposed to do as far as reciprocating, uh, that trust and that loyalty. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty lucky that I was able to find him at the right moment, uh, in my life. And it all goes back to the idea that, you know, family is the most important thing and football is family. So both those things should go hand in hand and should be treated, um, with the love and respect that you give, you know, whether it's your wife, your kids, your parents, uh, that you go to the coaches and the players uh, as well. I couldn't agree more, Coach. I mean, everybody preaches it. You know, it seems like every single program in America has some sort of pillar or some sort of motto that talks about family. And then you, you still see all of these these coaching staffs that are fractured. You see guys that don't get along. You'll see coaches that, you know, are, are yelling at each other, calling names or playing the, the political game, which I'm sure you get to see a ton of in Washington, D.C., yeah. But, uh, I mean, it, it, we're, we're supposed to be role models for those kids. And I think sometimes we lose sight of it. It's like if we can't get along as a staff and you can't get along with, with guys and model that to the players, that stuff's going to trickle down. And there should be no reason why you should ever get mad at a kid for, you know, not, not having family-like values. You know, they have to learn that from somebody. And, you know, what better place to learn that than through a, an adverse game like football? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 100% agree with that. Um, you know, I know at Gonzaga, we have a few uh, different pillars uh, for our program. So one of them uh, is our motto, our team motto, which is NEF, N-E-F, which means now, embrace, finish. Um, and, you know, something Coach T came up with, uh, you know, as far as now, you know, staying in the moment, focusing, you know, keeping the main thing the main thing. And, focusing on what's right in front of you. You know, you can't worry about the last play. You can't worry about, you know, the next quarter. Um, you can't worry about, you know, what's going to go on next year. You have to take care of what's going on in your life at that moment. You know, that play, your assignment, your technique, uh, which obviously can carry over to everything you do in life. Um, the E is embrace, uh, embracing adversity to overcome all the obstacles because that's what life is. Life is going to be a bunch of obstacles that yeah. uh, are thrown your way. And, you know, you see it all over social media with the, um, you know, e, uh, ERO, you know, event plus response equals outcome. And that's exactly what embrace means. You know, you have to respond properly to whatever has happened to you. That way you make a positive outcome no matter what you're, you're facing. Um, and then the F is finished. Um, and that's pretty self-explanatory that, when it comes down to it, uh, you can make all the excuses in the world of why you did not do something, or you can find a way to get it done. Um, and so that's, that's one of our team mottos. Another one that we uh, deal a lot with is uh, T3, which is toughness, togetherness, and trust. Um, you know, once again, fairly self-explanatory. And out of, out of those three, um, the, uh, the, the, the toughness one is probably the one that 
these kids um, and everybody, you know, and whether it's, you know, our nation, schools, everything that they just need, we need more of it. We have, mm-hmm. there are too many people walking around thin skin um, and, and everything. And that's what, you know, the beauty of football is it builds toughness. And that doesn't mean, you know, you're yelling at kids and ripping them down. Uh, but toughness is overcoming and being courageous in the face of fear. So, uh, you know, that's one of the things that we're trying to instill in our guys is, is that toughness element. And the best way to build that toughness is through togetherness. The, you know, everybody's going through all the summer workouts and everything now, but the best teams, and you guys know it, are the ones who do it together. Um, I think it was uh, Coach Bartell on Twitter the other day, uh, you know, wrote, had a, had a post about that, about, you know, doing lifting together, running together, seven-on-sevens together, not going out to the, to the private coaches. And private coaches have their place. Um, you know, not going out uh, weightlifting on your own, but doing that, building that team and camaraderie, that trust, togetherness, and toughness together. Um, and so that's, you know, that's one of the keys that we're trying to build uh, at Gonzaga. And, you know, I know a lot of coaches preach it, um, but as coaches, we have to not just deliver the message, but be about it and, and show it as well. That's really, um, it's crazy you, you uh, talk about toughness because it's something actually me and Walls were just talking about today. I mean, we were just uh, texting about it earlier this morning, just about just it seems like the lack of toughness that there is. And, and it's something I've been saying for years is, is um, I'm lucky to be a young, younger guy in this generation. And I think my kids are lucky because you don't even have to be very tough and you're in the top 10%. Like you gotta, yeah. if you're tough enough to to feel bad and feel sick and still go to work, you're top ten percent of tough people. It seems like you know people in the Absolutely. military. Yeah. They're obviously the top one percent, but you just have to be a little tough now, and you're in the top ten percent. People think, man, that guy's really tough. Where if it was back in the '40s, and and you know, like when my grandma was growing up, she didn't have she didn't have electricity in her house. She didn't have running water. They had to go out to the creek to get water. Um, oh, you know. Man dad was in world war ii you know all that you know if i was back then i'm the the lowest you know 40 percent. i'm one of the weak ones that you know is just playing football or whatever but um you know now nowadays you got all this stuff that all you gotta do is be a little sick and still go to work or still still participate and you're in the top 10 percent. so um I, I think it's awesome that you touched on that because that is a big deal uh and, you know to me and coach walls um specifically it's something we were just talking about today and how important that is and and like you said not necessarily yelling at kids but teaching them what we say is is uh, mental and physical toughness right doing stuff you don't want to do but you know that you need to do in my opinion is a, a form of mental toughness and that's a lot of things that that some people aren't willing to do and the ones that are willing to do that are the ones that um you know get along a lot better in life yeah yeah, that's that's definitely true. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't imagine living, you know, back in the day with like no AC or anything. I I, I make me may make me soft. <laughs> I am very grateful for air conditioning. That's uh, exactly right. right now right. sitting in the car with the AC uh, blasting and loving it. You know, loving it. <laughs> well, um, Coach, the other thing I was going to say for you, I mean, don't don't you think you know, kind of getting your your humble starts. You know, you started out doing equipment with Denver, which by the way, I was going to go back to because I, I worked for Denver Johnson at Tulsa uh, when, when he was the offensive line coach there, an awesome, awesome dude. And I'm yeah. sure you probably know guys like Holman Wiggins uh, was another guy yep, I got to I know, work I know with. Coach Wiggins well. 
Coach Wiggs is a stud, and obviously Foo. You know, a lot of a lot of those Oklahoma guys, Coach Carnelson. Uh, but you know, I think when when guys start out in the business, where you know you're you're not doing the jobs everyone wants to, because I see so many kids now that that come out of college and they instantly want to be the varsity OC, or they instantly want to be the varsity receivers coach when. You know, okay, yeah, you played four years in college, but so did we, you know, or we were at least around it or we played in high school. And all of a sudden now you get some of this sense of entitlement where I think you get a lot of of value, you know, doing those small jobs, being a GA at a small school and you're going to wear six hats, you know, coaching JV football and lower level football and, and coaching little kids in football because Genuinely, I think you have a better understanding and then a better appreciation for a lot of the the things that you are talking about being that servant leader. And that's really what all of us are teaching and and preaching is the idea of servant servant leadership. And it takes a lot of humility and being humble in order to do that. I'm not, you know, I could be a cocky son of a gun uh, a bunch (laughs) of the time, but, um, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for the greater good. And, you know, I, I might have, um, you know, I came out of college and I thought I'm definitely ready to go ahead and, and call plays. And there was no bigger revelation to the fact that I was not ready to do it um, until the first time that I was able to do it. And after that first game, I was just like, wow, that is way different than I could imagine it being. Um, and, and there's really – you know, you, there's nothing. There's nothing that quite prepares you to be in the fire until you're actually in it. Um, and and the same thing goes with head coaching. Um, you know, I'm I'm so grateful to have a great head coach who yeah. just allows all the assistants to worry about football, uh, whereas he has to deal with the the parents, recruiting, the in school politics, all that different stuff. And he shields all of us assistants from it, so that all we have to worry about is football. And so, you know, for me personally, I'm at a little bit of a crossroads of, you know, am I, do I feel like I'm ready to be a head coach? Is that something that I want to do? Or man, do I just want to have fun and call play? Yeah, no, that, that I'm, I'm with you with that. Not as far as I'm looking for that, but that's, you know, one of the things that all, most of the head coaches that we've talked to that that's one of the big things that they're um, they love being head coaches and, and all of that. And it is great. And they wouldn't change it. I don't think, but, that's the big thing they look back on and, and they're like, man, I, but I do miss, you know, my guys, or I do miss all the football. They miss out on so much mm-hmm. of the football stuff because like you said, now to be a good help, good head coach, you got to deal with all the parents. You got to deal with all the, the kids and, and all that stuff. I mean, I know every coach deals with kids, but some of the bigger issues with kids are, are maybe around school or, or whatever outside of football. And then you got to deal with the boosters. You got to deal with so much other stuff that they just, aren't able to be into football as much. And so that is a big trade-off whenever you do make that jump. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's definitely not an easy job, you know, being being the head guy. Um, and, you know, a lot of respect for all of those coaches that, you know, whether they're successful or not, you know, being the the person in front of the line, taking all the bullets, uh, there, there's a lot to be said for that. And, uh, you know, a lot of respect for, for all those head coaches. Um, so, you know, want to talk, want to talk a little bit of ball, you know, so, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, 
You know, I know. Um, it, it, so for us at Gonzaga, um, you know, we're uh, we're a gap a gap scheme. You know, I hear oh, a lot right. of coaches talk. You know, I I see wide zone everywhere now. Everybody wide zone is allegedly <laughs> the greatest play, and that's all you need to run. Um, that's all I hear now. I don't know if you guys hear that or see that, but apparently all you guys I've heard it. Yeah, I've heard it. And you're wearing winning championships. If you run wide zone and four vert, you don't need anything else in the playbook. <laughs> it takes care of everything. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, so one of the things, um, you know, I, I do believe in this. Um, you know, we're – us high school coaches, we're very limited on the amount of time that we get with the kids. And, um, you know, our head coach said, you know, we could either be a gap team or a zone team. And he was – he's a believer – in gap scheme football, which for me, when I first interviewed with him, I was more in line with, Hey, I, I love zone. I think, I think zone is, <laughs> sure. has, has easy answers to everything. Not that it's easy to work it, but you know, everybody's, you know, if everybody's on the same page, um, you know, there's going to be an opening somewhere. Um, but, but gap, uh, you know, got, got heavy into that. And I absolutely, I absolutely love it. You know, so we're, we're full on uh, gap scheme. And, you know, this is the first year that we've totally gotten away from any zone, any zone scheme. Hmm. Um, you know, hope, hopefully the opponents aren't listening to this, but, you know, if they don't know, if they don't know we're running power yet, then, then they've lost already anyway. Um, and so, uh, you know, our, you know, our, our motto is, um, you know, for power, you know, it's a series of down blocks and double teams with two chances to kick out the defense. And, that's the way that we start and install the play. And that's kind of how our offense goes. We want to try and paint the picture for the players on, on each play so that they understand things like the point of attack. So they understand, you know, Hey, this is where we're trying to go. So this is what we have to take care of first. Um, and, uh, and using that, those kind of mental images to help them has, has really gone a long way. And, what, no matter what scheme you're running, and I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, gap's the best, you know, and, and zone sucks or whatever. Whatever <laughs> you believe in, as long as you present it with passion um, and, and some intensity and belief, you know, the kids are going to buy in. And in order to be successful on offense, I, you know, you, I think you need to have a couple key things. Number one, you have to believe in what you're doing and know what you're doing and then be able to sell that to the kids. The kids have to, you know, be able to learn and do it, obviously. And then I think one of the most overrated and underlooked things of being a great offense is having a great scout team. We've yeah. been fortunate enough to have a bunch of guys uh, that will go on the scout team and, and try really, really hard and give a really, really good look. Because without those guys, without that type of preparation, you're not winning on Friday and Saturday night. No doubt. And, well, and it can be uh, tough, you know, it can be really tough if, if it's not your, you know, and, and I, we say it so much and I almost hate, I almost hate the word too now, but if that's not the culture of your program uh, to have yeah. the, the scout team go out there and, and perform like that, then it, it's really hard to, to get that going. Yeah. And there, you know, I've, I've seen some coaches who have done really, some really good things that I'm going to try to do as far as, you know, really, you know, pumping up the scout team you know I've seen coaches give them some nicknames um you know the headhunters or, or the woodchucker and stuff like that and you know rewarding those guys for doing a great job and really pumping those guys up and then also 
helping them understand, you know, by doing a great job on the scout team, you're giving yourself a chance to earn, um, you know, your job on a special team or, you know, on the offense, on the defense. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really a learning opportunity where they can hone their craft. And, you know, you, you have to really emphasize that as a coach so that they get that and will do that for you um, and have those high expectations. Because at the end of the day, you know, you're only going to be as good as, as your expectations are of your program. I'm, you talking I'm glad, about, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm glad you bring up the scout team because honestly, I don't, I don't think anyone has yet on a podcast and there's probably a reason, you know, you know, nobody wants to talk about it because it's not the, the sexy topic, but man, what, what an important part of your team. And I, I got a few stories on that and, and it's kind of molded me as a coach. I mean, you, you know, coach Trimble, obviously at Jenks, you know, you're, you're a dub mm-hmm. disciple as well. But, but Coach Trimble always coached the scout team. You know, from the first day that I got there, he always did that. He always coached the special teams, scout teams. So we, we always were, were well prepared because the head coach made it a priority. Um, another, yeah. guy, another guy I heard talk was Eric Shenander, who's now the, the D coordinator at Nebraska. Uh, you know, making a million dollars as a defensive coordinator. He holds the scout cards, and he runs the scout oh, team. Awesome. So, I mean, that, that's a, another thing that I – heard him talk about uh, inside of a, of a clinic and you're like, you know what? I mean, if you want those guys to, to be really, really good, you know, make it a priority, put the head coach there, put the, the coordinator there and have them run it. I know coach Harper does it at broken arrow. He takes the scout team offensive line and, and he's running those plays at people. I think it's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, that is, that is very awesome. And, you know, I, I've run the, I ran the scout team, you know, for, for years, whether, you know, helping out at Illinois state or at Jack Britt, in North Carolina, at NEO, Arkansas Tech, down in Florida at Leesburg, and, you know, even at Gonzaga, there were times where, I, you know, a bunch of times where, you know, I had to run the scout team, and, you know, it's, it's, it's vital. It's vital for you to be able to prepare, because as good as it is to sit in a meeting room and, you know, break down the opponent and watch it with your players and everything, the way the guys learn the best is by doing it on the field. Yeah. And so you have to be able to give them the best look possible um, and, you know, thanks, you know, I, right now, I, th- this past season was the first year where I didn't have to run the scout team. Um, uh, Thomas Meir, our, um, our fat back coach, uh, he, he coaches the fullbacks and tight ends, <laughs> which I know, you know, fullbacks and tight ends, you know, dying arts right there. But it is we, we fullback for guys. sure. We love those guys. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're going to run power, you got to have a good fullback. Um, yes. You know, he's, he's, he's meat eater. He's the, the old school Viking, you know. Um, uh, rating and pillaging the defense, and um, and so um, you know, luckily he ran it last year, which you know was really nice for me because I was able to really focus on you know watching the big picture of of the offense. But you know, having a I love the idea of the head coach running it. I think that's awesome, um, mm-hmm. and it, it, you have to have somebody who who will buy in, who will know what the job is that needs to be done and will do a great job of coaching those guys up um, because, I mean, you, you win football games um, in the winter, in the summer, and in the practices because um, everybody wants to go out and win on Friday and Saturday night, but it's the one to work for and prepare for it the most beforehand that gives themselves the best, best chance. And, you know, for us at Gonzaga, we, we play in a really good conference. Um, you know, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the names of our opponents, but they are they are pretty darn good. Uh, they got a <laughs> bunch of athletes and everything, and 
you know, we have talent. I'm not going to lie. We, we have, we have some very good talent um, uh, at G, but uh, not, not as much as some of those other guys do. And so, you know, for us, we really put a premium on preparation and nothing to me says uh, preparation is important as much as having a great scout team. So if you want to have a good offense, if you want to have a good defense, then you better have the best scout team possible. Well, I think even more than, you know, the look is obviously really important, but even selfishly, I think the biggest impact is you're getting 25 more reps with your twos uh, as a coach. So I, yeah. I, I think anyone that's not working with, with their scout team, whether, you know, I was in college and only one year did they have an actual offensive line coach over there um, running cards. And that was the one year I was on scout team my freshman year. And we had the assistant offensive line coach over there. And we got so much better at playing offensive line. It was unreal. And the next four years yeah. I, I was there, they weren't down there coaching. You know, it was, it was whoever, a mm. defensive GA. And, and so your offensive line is getting no better at all. They're missing time with you. And they're over mm. there getting taught by a defensive GA that, uh, you know, has drawn up these, these, you know, lines and said, okay, go there. And the defense isn't going to be there anyway. So they're getting no better. And then there was no coach even watching film over it. So I think yeah. a few things, make sure, especially offensive line-wise, make sure either your, your number one offensive line guy's over there or your number two offensive line guy's over there. Make sure you're watching film over it and make sure you're making it a big deal to those kids. You know, I, I know when, when I run it, I even, you know, I'll look at the card, I'll see what play that is to us, and I'll call that play out while I'm showing them the card. So they're seeing the card, so they don't maybe they mess it up if there's a kid that's a three or a four in there. But for the most part, it's my twos, try to get them better, and I'm still calling it our play. You know, there's mm -hmm. only so many plays out there. So we run just about yeah. all of them or at least have them in our offense. So, hey, it's, it's whatever, you know, it's Bronco right here. And so they can still see it drawn up, but that's going through their head as well. So they should still use the same double team stuff. They should still get in a good stance. So that's, it's 25 full live reps against the best defense that they're going to see all year. You know, like our defense is better than any – JV defense they're going to see all year so yeah. you're getting the best possible reps where if it's just some defensive GA you're, you're wasting or even a receivers coach you know you're kind of wasting all those reps so I think it's so important just for the reps that you can get your young guys and then nothing makes me matter than you hear a coach just say oh we just I don't know how to develop some of these young kids and then he's over there uh -huh. you know going <laughs> through whatever walkthrough period when he could be with his guys with his twos going through full speed against the ones. I, I mean, it's a lot of wasted time if you're not over there and you're not coaching your own guys to be the scouts because – and then, like you said, you're also not giving your defense a good look. But even selfishly, you just make your group so much better when you're over there coaching it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point. The idea that, you know, you're not just coaching the scout team to give a great look, but you're coaching them on the – the fundamentals and techniques that you as a program believe in. And like you said, there's only so many actual plays out there. And for the most part, you can marry up whatever the other team is doing to what you already do. So you're just increasing learning. You're maximizing reps. Uh, and, that, and that's really the name of the game is uh, developing your young guys. Because every coach can look great when you have a five-star or a four-star guy. Um, yeah. I, nope. I, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky. I've had every quarterback that I've had 
is been, has has had a D1 scholarship, whether it's you know high level, you know the, to, to the top of the top uh, BCS or you know to uh, to D1 uh, FCS. And it's not because I'm a I'm this amazing guru or anything like that. I'm I'm definitely not. Um, there are some things that I believe in, some things that I've been able to pick up from guys like Darren Slack and NFA and Dub and all those guys, uh, which has been absolutely phenomenal what they're doing, um, that I'm able to instill in my quarterbacks to help them. But those guys are the ones who are during, doing the work, and they make me look like a better coach than I am because the quickest way to find out you're not as great as you think you are is to no longer be coaching those studs and you're coaching this guy who came in and was a scrub as a freshman, and you have a choice to make. Am I going to just – cast him aside because he's no good now as a freshman or am I going to give him many opportunities to develop him just as if he were a five-star kid and that's where you really see how good a coach is are they coaching those guys who are bench players as hard as they're willing to coach the guys who are going to be you know maybe playing on Sundays one day um and uh and I know you know I, I listened to you know the podcast the other day y'all were talking about uh, the the JV um, deal in in Oklahoma and uh, and in Vegas and yeah. um, and we kind of are in the same boat over here where you know we have a freshman a JV and a varsity team but the freshmen practice separately the JV and the varsity are really we use them as one one unit to maximize number but the JV plays on a Wednesday or a Thursday wow. so just like how y'all were talking about like. <laughs> You know, those guys don't really have a chance. To, you know, if we play them on Wednesday and Thursday, you know, they're going to suit up for Friday or Saturday night, but they're not going in unless it's like dire consequences. Um, and, but those are, you know, developmental opportunities. And, you know, for us, you know, we don't, you know, obviously freshmen are going to play freshmen, but we do have some freshmen who are a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more developed and, and, and polished and everything that they practice with the varsity and, uh, and, you know, they'll play JV. So we're able to spread out those developmental opportunities. And, you know, we're lucky enough where our juniors can also play JV. And, you know, some people might think it's a slap in the face to play uh, JV as a junior. But if you have the right mindset and say, you know what, this gives me the chance to play more than if I were just sitting on the sideline. Um, for the varsity game, uh, that I get a chance to be to be better, just like scout team. If you have the right mindset, it's a developmental opportunity for you to get better to help the team and then eventually help yourself. I mean, we had two cornerbacks, um, you know, these last couple of years who played JV as juniors and then as seniors, they were hugely impactful. You know, all conference kids that earned uh, Division One and Two level uh, scholarships, and, and it's just because they had the right mindset and you know that that starts from the top and it has to be a cultural program thing where nobody looks and side eyes somebody just because they're on the scout team or just because they're on you know it's just JV football no it's all important everything that we're all doing is vital to the success of the program and it starts with the development and it's development of the best of the best and the development of the kid that you go oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's walking. He looks like he's about to fall over and break his leg. <laughs> we, we just started doing it this week. We, we brought up the freshmen. And in, in Iowa, we can, we can actually practice football all summer. It's kind of the open, open period. And I'm telling oh, you, it's been, it's been awesome for a week. Now, we, we're not in pads or anything like that, but 
the, the week that we've done this has been awesome because you're able to go two groups. You're able to split your staff. Um, you go kind of an offense and defensive emphasis day. So our freshmen and our younger guys are getting coached by our varsity D staff. And then the next day they're getting coached by our varsity offensive staff. And I think it just is just so many positives from it between building relationships. I start to know who these kids are. I can talk to them a little bit more in the weight room because we're all lifting together now too. Um, to me, it's just been the, the biggest and best thing that we've done. I just feel a lot more together. And at the same time, we're, we're developing every single kid that is in the program. I think we're going to be able to reap the benefits of that for, for a long time. It's been good. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you got to give a lot of respect for those kids who they're not blessed with the physical and athletic ability that others are that stay with it and yeah. go four years of playing, playing football and not getting a whole lot of playing time and just having to go through the grueling, you know, practice sessions and everything like so much. I have so much respect for all of those uh, players that, that do that because that's not easy. That's not easy. And talk about no. being, having to humble yourself. Um, I mean, you're sitting and watching your, your friends do these, you know, have these great feats on the field. And then, you know, you get a play if they're up 40 to nothing with a couple minutes left in the game. Um, and you have to love up and respect those guys because it's those guys that are kind of the glue that, that um, you know, hold all the, all the different moving parts together. Because if you don't have those guys, then you don't, you don't have the, the look team and you don't have the numbers. Um, and then you also just don't have those guys that are role models of humility that you can point to and be like, look how hard this kid is working. And he does not have a chance to play on Saturday. But here you are, a kid that's uh, committed to whatever big-time university, and you want to not finish across the line. You know? So you, you can really use those kids um, as, as role models um, and, and teach those kids who maybe are blessed with some more uh, physical and athletic traits that, hey, you should try and uh, emulate this work ethic right here, and that will take you to even greater heights. Well, Coach, you know, with, with the absence, or maybe not even the absence over these last few years, but at least the not very much uh, wide zone, like you say, you know, obviously majority gap scheme, what are you using to get out to the edge? Are you guys a, a big pin pull uh, to get out yeah. on the edge? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Love, love pin and pull. Absolutely. <laughs> Love it. And, you know, just trying to, uh, you know, figure out different ways that we can get to it as long as it's married up uh, to our rules. Um, and, and that's really the, the thing that I've been trying to do this year is, you know, the, the idea of less is more, making sure that everything has consistent rules that they can go into, uh, as well as, you know, like Dub talks about with having a common language uh, so that the communication is streamlined. And if you have the common language and you have set rules, then if the defense comes out and does something that you maybe weren't expecting, well, if you follow your rules, we should be successful. Um, so, yeah, to get to, to get to the edge, you know, we got – we'll use pin and pull. Um, you know, we'll use, you know, the you know, jet sweep stuff, um, quick game, uh, and, and screens. And I'm, I, love, I love screens. I think, um, you know, screen, the screen game – is one of the most underutilized parts of uh, of an offense, and pretty much every year I come out of the year, and you know we're we've been really good at at screens, um, and I'm always thinking, man, I wish I ran more of them, uh, because 
You know, it's a, it's a low-risk, high-reward play. They're great on any down and distance. Uh, they're phenomenal to use uh, as far as, you know, things like misdirection goes because, you know, you can jet a guy one way, throw the screen the other way. Um, a lot of teams, um, you know, will, you know, pull and sell, you know, power and then, you know, throw the screen away from that. And it's like the mm-hmm. linebackers are flowing one yep. way and you're, you're cutting the defense in half. Um, and then you're getting those big daddies uh, running, um, you know, rumbling, stumbling in the open field. And you just tell those big guys, don't slow down, brother. You just go throw and, you know, throw your body. And that guy's going to have to avoid your big butt um, and, the, and let those skill guys worry about making you right. Um, and, and one of the things that we use to teach screens is the fat concept. Uh, so there's always going to be a, a blocker for the force. There's always going to be a blocker for an alley, alley. defender. And then there's always going to be a trash guy who, who's going to try and look and see if anybody's trying to clean up the screen from behind. And if not, then he gets to go party with the rest of the guys. Well, I was about to say, you, you and Walls are going to be best friends, I think, because that's uh, – <laughs> I think that's one of Wall's favorite. That's one of his duty. He's like two sayings: "Is if if you're uh, if you can run screens well, that you're a well coached team." I, he's oh, going I right. It. He's going right down the list, man. He's got gap scheme. Boom! Already already endeared himself. He pin loves pin pull, <laughs> and he loves screens. I mean, what what else? What else do we got here, Harp? I mean, it's perfect. We I got the try trifecta. If, if he talks a little power pass, I think we're. Uh, I think we just became best friends. Oh man, and uh, and I I think somebody said it before. I know I've 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 read it. Um, I think I saw it with uh, Chris Brown on on Smart Football. Uh, the uh, the idea of uh, if you want to have a great play action, uh, you know, you got to pull somebody. And so uh, you know, we do run power pass. And um, you know, you to me, you know, there are a lot of keys and important things to power pass. Number one, protecting the backside uh, for the quarterback because you are. You know, you know, if you pull the guard, um, then you're missing a gap. You got to figure out how you can scheme up to protect the blind side of the quarterback on, on power pass. And then, you know, really instilling into the quarterback, dump it off to the flat. If the flat is open, take it right now because then that fullback gets out there and, you know, it might not be pretty or anything, but that is a tough play to, to stop. And if you're running power well, then you better have power pass because that's an easy, quick dump off. Dump off. Um, an easy throw for a quarterback to make. I don't care if the quarterback is the best quarterback in the world or if he can only <laughs> throw it from, from here to grandma, uh, but it's an easy pass. And, and you know, it, it, it tends to open up, uh, you know, nice and open and quick and everything. So you can get a quick dump off and get some great yards out of it. Andrew Luck got, got uh, thrown under the bus by Gruden on, uh, on his little quarterback show. He threw it through to the tight end. You always dump it to the flats first. Fullbacks open, throw yeah. it. Don't yep, the- absolutely. No, don't don't be greedy on it. You know, don't be greedy on it. Take take what it, take what they give you, and you know, hey, I love I love throwing deep. I love you know uh, chunking it and getting those big uh, big gains and everything. But there's something special and a lot to be said for you know giving the ball to that big ugly fullback who who only gets maybe a couple touches uh, a season and letting him go be be the athlete and um and, you know protect it protect your run game and so if you're if you're a gap run team um you know the thing that you have to be concerned with is the defense reading for your pullers and for your fullback right Um, and so you have to you have to structure your offense to protect uh all that stuff so that's what you know we use 
uh, you know, our screen game and some other things uh, to, to sell one thing to the defense and, and do something else. So that kind of messes with their key reads. Well, that's, that's something we've kind of worked with. You know, that's, that was our big thing, um, you know, is, is that. And so we've worked a couple of things. We've worked trying to find more and more plays for the fullback. So fullback dive, fullback trap, like you said, power pass, a little bit get, get him the ball. That way they're, you know, they, they overrun a lot of that stuff. And then we've also started running like one back power, but out of 21 personnel. So we'll run one yeah. back power to the tight end, but we, we, we don't gap hinge the backside tackle. We lock onto the end and set the fullback for the backside linebacker, backside inside linebacker. Nice. So, you know, they get that real big split flow, but then you got, you know, one back power to the opposite side. And that seemed to be, as long as that running back will keep it really tight, um, as always, uh, it's, it's been pretty good for us, really. Yeah, yeah, we, we do something similar. Uh, we use one back power in 21 as well to, to, give, to give split flow because a lot of defenses – are you know king our fullbacks alignment to set their you know fronts and everything so we have to protect it and use that use that against them and um, then and, uh, you know we like to uh use him to actually we, we like to use him to actually kick out that backside guy and let the tackle uh climb to the uh to the to the backside backer um mm-hmm. you know right now he doesn't have to wait or sift or any of that stuff sure yeah, yeah, and and then the other big one is, and it's Walls. I think it's Walls' pet peeve is just not enough people get in twenty-one and run power away from the tight end. I mean, it, oh, it, I, it's unreal. I how love, many I love power away from the tight end. It, it's unreal how many teams uh, best playing football overload overload to the tight end fullback side. You know, or even if you're an eye, they'll they'll overload to the tight end side and and just easy pickings if you go away from the tight end and just it's just doesn't happen very often that teams will run away from it. And so um, I think walls, I think that's one of your biggest pet peeves. If you didn't know that about yourself. I didn't know that about myself. It's still, I'm, I'm getting mad thinking about it right now. I want, I want to go. I literally want to go to Michigan and punch Jim Harbaugh in the face. Don't do it. It's like Jim run the, run the weak power, bro. You'll, you might beat Ohio state one of these days. <laughs> oh man. I bet he would eat that punch up and say, you know what? You're probably right. <laughs> well coach uh, there's one i wanted to ask you um i know you're a passionate guy obviously you you love ball you know talk a little bit about the the fun of being an oc you know kind of having the pressure but at the same time being able to call plays maybe just go through a little bit of you know what you're thinking during games you know obviously you don't have to go in any you know great detail you don't want to give away all your trade secrets but you know, I, I personally loved calling plays, and, and I had my own kind of style. You know, what's what's your kind of style? You've already said you like to chunk it deep a little bit and run the power. So it seems like we'd get along pretty well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I always leave most games saying, man, I wish I would have uh, thrown some more shots. Uh, that's one of the things that I'm really trying to uh, work on is, is throwing some more shots. Uh, but, um, you know, we – you know, our philosophy, first and foremost, is like the podcast. We are going to run the power. We're, we're firm believers in that because there's nothing more beautiful than taking the will of the opponent and just watching them. They can't do anything to stop it. And they're just, they're just taking it. Bang, bang, bang. You know, whether it's, you know, four and five yard uh, gains or you, you start getting those chunks of 10 to 15 to 20 yards. And when you break the will of the opponent, there's nothing more beautiful in football than that. Um, so, you know, philosophically, I, I would love to be able to just call, you know, power 
every every single play and uh, and and get the victory that way. Just uh, body you know, shot, we're, we're, body shot, body shot. Exactly, exactly. And you know we're so we're you know we're a fast paced, uh, no huddle offense. We're we're very multiple as far as personnel and formations go. So you know we run the gamut from twenty one to you know all the all the two back stuff with and and, and all the one back stuff. Um, and you know I I think that the no huddle has um you know it, it's a great thing uh, i'm you know defenses have caught up so trying to use shifts and motions to kind of create uh and, and the sugar huddle to create uh, slightly different tempos and make and force the defense to communicate um you know is something that we try and do um as far as on game day you know i try and be loose uh and have fun uh because if i'm if i'm too serious um or anything like that, then, you know, you kind of get a little bit of tunnel vision. Um, so I try and be as, as relaxed as I can. It doesn't always work that way, but, um, <laughs> you know, try, trying to have a, have a good time. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't found a game plan sheet that I've made yet that I've, that I've liked. Um, I'm, I'm changing our, my game plan sheet again uh, this year, um, and, and um, you know, hopefully this one will lo- work better, more of, more of the idea of, you know, hey, this is a play that we like uh, against this look. And, uh, you know, here are the couple things that they could do to take it away and kind of have a flow chart as far as um, our our built-in answers as far, you know, instead of just having, hey, here are the first down plays I like, you know, pick and choose. Um, you know, here are the third down plays I like, pick and choose. Um, so uh, try, trying to get with that. And, um, you know, when it, when it comes to the end of the day, I can't do it on my own. Um, I'm not I'm not good enough or smart enough or any of that stuff. So I'm lucky to work with a bunch of great guys, and you know I really lean on them uh, in in game planning. And um, you know I'm definitely a believer in trying to give the the guys that I'm working with responsibilities in the game plan, uh, in the preparation, so that you know they 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 know the offense better, and then they can help me see um, you know things that maybe I'm not seeing as far as game planning goes. Um, but you know, it's fun. It's a lot of fun calling the plays. Um, I mean, it's like, it's real life video games. Um, you know, just like sitting in a chair and, uh, Madden or, you know, NCAA, please somebody bring back NCAA football. Um, I haven't played video games since NCAA football got (laughs) shut down. Um, and so, uh, so it's like, you know, it's, it's that deal, but, um, it's intense, you know, so all those guys who think they're ready to call plays, you know, it's, it's on your shoulders and there will come a time where, you're in the heat of the battle and maybe things aren't going quite the way that you want. And you're going to stay on the headset. All right. You know, what do you, what do you guys think? And what do you like? And you're going to get this <laughs> radio silence. I've and, gotten uh, that many times. You, and that's when you realize, man, I got to make sure that I am as prepared as possible. Cause just like we tell the kids, you know, you win through practice and preparation, same thing as coaching. Uh, so, so you have to be prepared um, as possible. And then when it comes to nut cutting time, you have to call the things that you believe in and, uh, and get the ball to the guys that you believe in as well. Well, Coach, you kind of talked about, you know, um, that uh, you didn't really know, you know, you thought you were ready to be a coordinator, then you were kind of lucky that you didn't get it as soon as you as you wanted to because you realized maybe you weren't ready at the time and, and you didn't even know if you were ready until, the, you know, the, your first game that you called it. So what is maybe some advice that you'd give to somebody that think, is thinking about 
jumping to go be an OC or even someone that is an OC for their first year? Well, for a person who's not, who hasn't done it yet, um, you know, similar what I would say to, to younger coaches, and I got to remind myself, you know, make sure you're listening. Listen and learn. Um, and, and whoever is calling the plays, watch the game with them, you know, after the fact and discuss the why. If, mm. if you know the why of the play calling, then you could make a, a much more educated decision on, you know, if, you, if, if the reasoning behind it was good, um, you know, what, you know, and, and really honing in on, you know, what your philosophy as a play caller is, because it's easy to sit there and second guess whether the game's on TV or if you're an assistant, um, you know, just listening to the plays. It's, it's, you know, it's really easy to be a fan and, and second guess. But, you know, so my advice would be, you know, when it comes to after the game, find the why of what, what plays you are running um, and, and why, you know, the, the coordinator and coach called it the way that, uh, that he did. That's really, um, as as, coach. That's know, really, that's really good. I, I never really thought of that. That's really, really good. Sorry to cut you off. I like that. Not a problem. Not a problem. And you know, it's something that I want to try and do more of is even just watching um, games. Uh, you know, hey, go and record the national championship game, and mm-hmm. then sit with a, a you know a bunch of the coaches and go through the game and say, hey, you know, O line coach, what what would you like right here? You know, with with this look and this down and distance. Um, you know, hey, receiver coach, you know, what about, what about you? What do you think that you would like, you know, in, in this situation? And, you know, by discussing it, you're kind of building your own philosophy, but then you also get to see the points of view from all the coaches that you have on staff. Um, so even if it's not your game that you're watching, just talking ball with, uh, with other guys. And once again, really honing in on, okay, this is what you like, but why do you like it? Because if you don't have a good reason of why you like it, then you, you shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the fir- the thing that I did to prepare, um, you know, I, I, I try to use some visualization stuff uh, to prepare for calling, uh, calling my game, uh, first game, uh, where, you know, I was just kind of going through the different looks and acting, you know, closing the eyes, imagining the, the down and distance situation uh, and, and making, you know, making the calls, you know, trying to push myself to be able to uh, jump between you know from different ideas um and, and call the play clearly um in a in a quick manner because that's one of the, probably the things that doesn't get talked about a whole lot when you're running a fast-paced offense is that you have to think and talk you know quickly and communicate things decisively um you know you can't really pussyfoot around so um you know being able to think on the fly it's a skill uh, and, and, and it's a skill that you need to you know hone whether it's through you know visualization um, you know, through, you know, just, just, uh, you know, practice, um, you know, just, you know, the numerous ways where you can call, um, you know, uh, practice your recall abilities. And, you know, the more you call the plays, uh, the more you script the plays, the better the play caller you're going to be. And, you know, if anybody's out there who isn't scripting practices, um, then you, you better get on that right now. Um, you know, it's crazy to me hearing people that don't, you know, that just call things off the cuff, um, you know, at practice. Another great way is seven on seven. Um, you know, every, a lot of people want to bash seven on seven, but there are good things about it. I know I bash the crap out of those dudes who just play two man and run these, you know, the 
quarterback rolls all the way to the right and then throws back to the left across the middle or, you know, the short pass that would hit the three-foot tall center in the back of the head for a touchdown. <laughs> um, but at the seven-on-seven, that's a great opportunity to try and call, you know, to call your system uh, and everything. So it's not just good for the players, seven-on-seven, seven, but it's a really good tool for coaches so that if you're just preparing right now to be uh, to call plays, then you're you're in the fire and it's a competitive environment and you know that that's probably one of the better ways to be able to get it done. Did you did you or do you call it you on the sideline or are you in the box, coach? I'm uh I'm up in the box. Um, I've always kind of, you know there's part of me that wants to be on the sideline, but you know I I get pretty into it now, so it's probably better for me to be a little bit more removed. <laughs> I'm the, uh, I'm the same way. I'm exactly the same. <laughs> um. And, uh, you know, I see those guys who call it on the field. I'm just like, you know, I wish I could do that. But it's better for me to be up there. I, you know, you just see it better. Um, and, uh, and you also have to have, you know, guys that you really trust up in the box. And I love, I love my staff. But, you know, I definitely got guys that are, you know, better for, for being on the field. And once again, it really comes down to the fact that if I'm on the field, I'm going to be way too emotionally involved in it. And with through through emotions, you end up getting some blind spots. So I'd rather be removed and try and be as clear headed as possible. Love it. Well, coach, you know, we've we've uh, we've kept you on here for a while. So um, I'll kind of ask you the last question that we like to ask everybody. But uh, you're watching someone, uh, another team's offense play and you're watching their offensive line. Uh, what's something they'd be doing that would make you think really highly of their coach? All right, well, I would be remiss to all those uh, OLP guys if I didn't say that uh, great stances would be uh, the starting point. So if you see a bunch of guys with good stances, then obviously uh, the, the O-line coach has bought into the fact that if you uh, start well, you have a better chance of finishing well. So, you know, having a great stance, it's a, it's a key fundamental uh, and it builds – uh, a foundation for a guy to be successful right out the gate. But, you know, my favorite thing to see that would make me just respect the crap out of an O-line coach is seeing a guy whose players finish through the whistle. Um, you know, just seeing that nasty uh, out of kids, that makes me respect a player more. Uh, and then that definitely makes me respect an offensive line coach more when you see, you know, five guys who are just playing the plays through the whistle, you know, and guys that are chasing, you know, the ball's going this way and I'm going to, I'm going to, it might not be where I'm going right now, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go chase it and finish. So when you see a bunch of old linemen who are finishers, it doesn't always mean pancakes, but seeing a bunch of nasty dudes who will play through a whistle, they'll, they'll, those players and that coach will definitely have my respect. Absolutely. Awesome answer, coach. The, this interview has been a lot of fun, man. It's, it's awesome to have you on. And I, I definitely look forward to, uh, to continuing to have some conversations from here, man. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. it was, it's been an awesome time. You know, you guys are doing uh, amazing things, really helping build uh, the coaching community. And, uh, you know, thank you very much for having me on. It's been an honor. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. We grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve or hoodie at runthepower.com also if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app this will help our podcast rating 
as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.